Kesat Pramsayadik Swagat, which is the way Baba began every one of his programs. And it means with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that was his nightly greeting, and it's also the essence of his spiritual ideal, to welcome other people with love. Uh, who is it that said what the world needs now is love, sweet love? That's the only thing there's not too much of? Huh? Baccarat, really? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't know who that was. Anyway, he might have written it. He might have written it. He wrote it. Uh, anyway, it's certainly true. And so Baba's, uh, the essence of what Baba uh, taught was that to love yourself, which is a very hard task, <clears throat> and then to give that love to everyone, to be in a state of love, and then the world could change. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you all. I was listening to Yogi Sri's uh, delightful talk, and I thought that when he sat down to f figure out what was bothering him, and he resolved to sit down and not get up, it reminded me of an episode from the Buddha's life, which is called Buddha's Resolve. And um, instead of, and the Buddha sat down under the Bodhi tree and he resolved, I will not get up, my bones might crack before I reach supreme enlightenment. And then he had a vision of a <laughs> salad. <laughs> the only difference, you, got, you had the salad uh, spinner and the Buddha had enlightenment. Very small difference. Very small, very small difference. <clears throat> anyway, uh, these satsangs, we celebrate uh, the highest potential in a human being. Look, let's face it, speaking of the Buddha, the Buddha pointed out that there's disease, old age, and death. And that's the problem. No matter how much we uh, shy away from it, this is what happens to everybody. In other words, Human life is extremely difficult, extremely difficult. Uh, and to, to conquer all those difficulties and to learn the art of happiness is a great art. And that's the art of yoga. That's the art of meditation. And that's why we come here. We practice that because all the other avenues for happiness turn out to be uh, dead-end roads. Uh, but yoga is not a dead-end road. Yoga, meditation, inner work, sadhana, leads to the goal. And we celebrate the great beings who've attained that goal. All the great yogis, the great sages, the great saints of all the traditions. And tonight, I'm celebrating uh, somebody very close to home. And he is... <coughs> my grand guru, the guru of my guru, whose murti or statue is over there in the corner, Bhagwan Nityananda, an extraordinary being who lived in the early part of the 20th century, died 1961. Um, he was born in South India and uh, eventually traveled all around India and beyond and somehow ended up uh, 
in a kind of a, a jungle atmosphere north of Bombay uh, in the towns of Ajashwari and, uh, and Ganeshpuri <coughs> and Akroli, those three little towns on the river there. Uh, he ended up in Ganeshpuri and that made him, made his home there. Uh, and by that time he'd attained a great state of yoga, state of enlightenment, state of self-realization. And pretty soon people started to flock to him. So all kinds of things happened in his presence, spiritual awakenings, miracles, all kinds of things. People just felt peaceful and good and full of energy around him. And that's why we go to that little village uh, outside of Bombay uh, uh, regularly, because his energy, his essence, uh, is still there. So this is Bhagwan Nityananda. What else do you have by him? <clears throat> Always in a state of uh, pure detachment and interconnectedness uh, beyond any external uh, problems. We have another? Here he is sitting on the porch, looking out, contemplating Brahman. <clears throat> or what shall I make tonight? What shall I watch tonight on TV? Uh, the great, the great Bhagwan Nityananda. And you know, I, I, I keep getting um, photographs from, uh, from our friend uh, Prasad Nandu in Ganeshpur. He's one of the temple priests. And he's invited all around India, uh, establishing uh, Bhagwan Nityananda temples. His fame is growing around India. And so they're making lots of mortis like that, statues of him. And uh, his presence is being felt everywhere. He opened recently a couple of temples in Udupi and somewhere else down there. So the family is growing in many ways. So tonight. Um, <clears throat> That's it, right? So, uh, now Bhagwan didn't give lectures. Uh, he didn't give courses. Uh, but he did occasionally utter remarks. And we would have nothing of them, or hardly anything of them, except uh, there was a woman named Tulsiyama who in his younger days, back when he was in the South, wrote down everything. There was always... Uh, uh, some devotee who writes down what the master says, and they, they, we owe them great service. Uh, because of, uh, of uh, Mahendranath Gupta, we have a real account, an intimate account of, um, of uh, Sri Ramakrishna's life. And because of Tulsiyama, uh, we have some of the utterances that Bhagwan Nityananda made, and they're brilliant and extraordinary and totally unique. But tonight's special treat, <clears throat> Swami Parmananda told me about a book that's come out about on Nityananda and has some stories from his life. Uh, so I thought I'd share a couple of stories first. <clears throat> and these are, um, as they always are, kind of, uh, what's the word? Weird. <laughs> they're extraordinary. They're, they're, they're very Nityananda. Okay, here's one. Mrs. Kalkini of Dadar, Dadar is a, a suburb of Mumbai, was a faithful follower of a great scholar 
who held audience spellbound with his brilliant lectures on Yanashwar's famous translation of the Bhagavad Gita. <clears throat> now, there, there are what we would call singers of tales in India, uh, the specialists who, who chant the verses from, from these texts and then expound on them. Uh, and they get thousands and thousands of people in these audiences. And so he obviously, uh, Yanishwar is the great saint of, uh, who uh, lived in Olandi near Pune, the boy saint. He, was, he wrote the Yanishwari when he was 16, a thousand years ago. <clears throat> and um, uh, it was his commentary on the, on the Bhagavad Gita in the Rati tongue, in the vernacular. Uh, and it's a great book. Um, so this, this uh, saint, this yogi, uh, used to sing the, the verses and then expound them. So she was a great follower. <coughs> Pardon me. Each year, she was among those who accompanied him to Pandapur on an annual pilgrimage known as Vari. So Pandapur, of course, is the center, uh, the spiritual center of Maharashtra, next to Ganeshpuri in which the image of Vital uh, is. And all the saints of Maras used to travel. And, and to this day, they travel once a year, twice a year, uh, by foot to Pandapur, and chanting all the way. So and they're known as Vakaris. <clears throat> um, and then Mrs. Muktabai, who was a devotee of Bhagwan Nityananda, occasionally attended these lectures and she became friends with Mrs. Kalkini and eventually invited her to Ganeshpuri. You have the, the characters ready? <clears throat> Sorted out. However, Ms. Kalkini demurred, saying she did not sound like an atmosphere she would enjoy. She heard that Nityananda was taciturn, gave no meaningful talks, and often rebuked visitors. <clears throat> His reputation growing. Not, not a nice fellow. Sometime later, just before the annual wari or the pilgrimage to Pandavur, Mrs. Kalkini missed one of her scholars' regular lectures. Instead, she went to a talk by a rival who was new on the scene and was beginning to attract the following. As fate would have it, her teacher had both noticed Ms. Kalkini's absence and heard of her attendance at the other lecture. He angrily proclaimed that she was never again welcome in his presence or at the wari, at the pilgrimage. When Mrs. Kalkini heard this, she was deeply shocked. To be punished so severely for what she considered a minor transgression was more than she could bear. Friends feared for her mental balance. <laughs> and Mrs. Muktabai, <clears throat> the devotee of Bhagwan Nityananda, again asked her to come to Ganeshpuri. And this time, in her extreme state, Mrs. Kalkini agreed. <laughs> you like this? <laughs> Their party arrived to find Nityananda sitting on his bench. <clears throat> when Mrs. Muktabai told him what had happened, he responded with characteristic brevity. In divine wisdom, Yana, how can there be difference? Beta. How can there be difference? The two young women took this to mean that if Mrs. Kalkini was truly listening 
to St. Yanishwar, um, would it matter which lecture she was at? There's no beta, no, no duality. Then Bhagavan Nityananda pointed to the ground and shouted, besides, this is Pandapur. There's no need to go on worry. He repeated this, and as he did, Mrs. Kalkini's relief was immediate. In that moment, she realized that Ganeshpuri was Pandapur, and Bhagwan Nityananda was Vital. She became calm and happy, and from then on, returned many times to Ganeshpuri. <laughs> Good? You want another one? <laughs> Can you bear such joy and wisdom? <clears throat> Uh, it's a short one, but this is really good. <clears throat> this is a story of an attorney from the distant state of Kerala who regularly visited Ganeshpuri on weekends. As the years passed, however, he felt keenly the loneliness of his unmarried state and finally announced to Bhagwan Nityananda that he wanted a wife. Listening, Nityananda pointed to the surrounding throng and said, take one from here. giving me ideas. <laughs> the, per the prospective bridegroom instantly froze, concerned that his mention of a private problem had triggered a casual response. Bewildered, he sat as the people around him slowly dispersed until only one older man remained, likewise from Kerala, which is South India. Eyeing the attorney, he told Nityananda that he and his wife were having difficulty arranging a suitable match for their daughter. <laughs> Nityananda pointed to his devotee. Everything was settled, and the couple were married. <clears throat> Doesn't say whether they lived happily ever after. But today, he is the Prime Minister of India. <clears throat> All right, so these are some of the, the aphorisms uh, from Bhagwan Nityananda, written down by Tulsiyama. They're very short, usually, and, but they're always unique. His unique perspective from this, his state of consciousness is quite extraordinary. <clears throat> Here we go. The ear would be of no use in the place of the eye. <clears throat> the work given to the legs should be done by the legs. The hands are not suited for walking. The hands do their work, but they cannot think. Thinking is done by the brain. Each person must do that for which he is suited. <laughs> so Bhagavad Nityananda, so marvelous. <clears throat> And I've heard him quoted, he used to say, wear the hat on the head, wear the shoes on the feet. <clears throat> if only we could work it out so completely as that. So uh, it's part of self-acceptance and self-understanding. Uh, in, uh, in the Gita, it says that, uh, your, that another person's dharma is poison to you, but your own dharma is 
is uh, nectar, which means that which you, that which is your role in life, that which you have to do, uh, is wonderful for you. But we tend to look around, see what everybody else is doing, and become jealous and want to do what they do, and then it becomes poison to us because it's not who we are, and we can't do it in a natural way. But if we can get in touch with our essence and act naturally in that, then even if it's a humble role, it still will be full of bliss for us and so on. Another one. <clears throat> he always makes these remarks that are very obvious and, and uh, remarkable. Cow's milk never tastes bitter. A statue does not speak. Merely visiting holy places like Kashi and Rameshwar, Kashi, of course, is Benares, and Rameshwar is a, a, a place south of Bombay, a Shaivite holy place. Merely visiting these holy places does not bring liberation. <clears throat> First, silence the mind and establish it in the self. Then concentrate deeply with spiritual discernment. So this is his teaching. He says, you can go on pilgrimages up the kazoo, but you're not going to get anything from it. It's, it's a law of the universe. Just as the cow's milk is sweet and just as a statue doesn't speak, so you can't get uh, enlightenment from just visiting places if you don't have understanding. So he says, first quiet the mind. Learn how to quiet the mind in meditation and establish it in the self, in the true essence, not the superficial, not the personality, but the essence. Then concentrate deeply with spiritual discernment, spiritual insight. This is what you have to do. So uh, two lines of, of uh, upadesa or, or prescription to practice. You have to do it. That's all you have to do. Quiet the mind. Focus it on the self. Develop spiritual discernment. Stone or clay statues and ritualistic worship do not reveal God. If the true significance of the statue or of the ceremony is not comprehended, liberation is not possible. Human birth is the effect. The cause is hidden within. That's a very interesting statement. <clears throat> Comprehending properly, removing the primordial ignorance, and de dedicating this life to seeking the true source, this leads to the peace of liberation. So here's the formula. If you want to have a happy life, you want to have a good life, do that. <clears throat> Remove your ignorance, dedicate your life to seeking the true source within, through meditation, through contemplation. This is what leads to peace. This is a cute one, ready? If an evil person falls in the well, what should be done? <clears throat> you know what you'd do. But Bhagwan Nityananda says, pull him up, pull him up. Do not think that the bad will always be bad. Lead them to the right road. Everyone has the true self within them, even that horrible person over there. 
they all have the true self within them. So instead of letting them drown and thereby polluting the drinking water, <clears throat> pull them up, give them another chance. Okay, another? There is no house without doors. <laughs> Although up the street, I noticed there's a house without doors and windows. You notice that up, up Tower Road? Very remarkable. House without doors. <clears throat> no hot water without fire. No fire without air. No life without food. Without the life breath, one cannot live even for a few seconds. Even more important than food and water is breath. Without control of the breath, one cannot be a sannyasi or a yogi. This is the essence of hatha yoga, is breath control. They call it pranayama, but also in, in meditation on the breath, the hamsa, soham, mantra, to watch the breath come in and go out and become the witness of the breath. And as the mind becomes calm, the breathing becomes even. He says, a boat without a rudder cannot be steered. So what's he saying here? He's saying that we have to gain mastery over our instrument, our body, our senses, our mind, our breath, all of that. We have to become that. And then, we have, then we're a boat with a rudder. We move in the right direction. <clears throat> Let's see, I have uh, three more. There, one is long. You manage it? Are you a Bhagwan Dao? <clears throat> Yogi Sri goes into a Bhagwan trance. <laughs> okay. Vairagya, which is renunciation, born upon seeing dead bodies burning at the cremation ground, is temporary. The, the scriptures talk about real viragya, real detachment, and temporary. Whenever you suffer a big loss in life, you get temporary. You think, oh, what's it all about? It's all crap. You know, when you've had that, some kind of heartbreak of some sort, and you think, life's crap. But, it, it, you know, after a couple of weeks or months, it comes back and you're just as dumb as you were before. <laughs> <clears throat> so it, it's... Um, it's uh, that's called temporary renunciation. It's not, it's not real renunciation when, when you're really detached from everything. <clears throat> he says, this is also the truth of the body. It is temporary. The body is temporary. Desirelessness is given by the guru. No, desirelessness given by the guru should be held and cultivated. Curate, curate your mind. Curate it. <clears throat> Such renunciation leads to liberation. So to be a little less into everything, both in desire and fear, just detach a little bit. Just be a little detached. And when you're a little detached, you can experience the self. If you're totally engaged in the world of desire and fear, you can't connect with the self. He says, this renunciation leads to liberation. This viragya, detachment or renunciation, is first. The guru is second. Desire for guidance and initiation is third. 
Now, that's an enigmatic statement, but it could mean in, in terms of time. First, you have, a, uh, you have a detachment from life. You're disappointed with life. You think, well, what's it really all about? Everything I've been told, eh, I don't know. It's not working out that great. And then, so then you turn to the spiritual path, and you meet the guru, <clears throat> and then you want to be guided and initiated by that guru and learn about the self. He says, you must practice renunciation yourself. Experience true desirelessness. This is the highest attainment of human life. So let's do a little dharana, a little, little exercise. <clears throat> the picture of desirelessness is Bhagwan Nityananda. He was a man who was completely present and very satisfied. He lived, he lived very humbly, just wore a loincloth. He didn't have a closet full of designer loincloths. He just lived super simply, and yet he was full of joy. He was full of contentment. <clears throat> so we're not like that, but we can imagine that. This is called the dharna, using your imagination. So imagine right now that you are, have no desires. Everything is just as it should be. Just now, in this moment, I am Bhagwan Nityananda. Bhagwan Nityananda inhabits your life. And he says, oh, there's nothing wrong here. It's all fine. Just get a glimpse of that state. It's a very exalted state, but it's also a very practical state, simply being pre present and contented in this moment. Okay, did you get a little glimpse? A soupçon? A little connection? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, he says, to achieve viragya and to impart it to others is the highest attainment of yoga. To achieve it yourself and to help others attain that. It is indivisible. It is the tree of peace. Climb the tree of peace within the head. <laughs> Bhagwan Nityananda. You can explain that different ways. The Kundalini moves up and, and attains the highest thing, but it's a very Bhagwan remark. Climb the tree of peace. At the top is imperishable desirelessness. Let the kundalini shakti, let the energy go to the highest center. The first vairagya is to renounce desire and anger. First thing, get rid of desire and anger, renounce them. The second vairagya is to live in the world, enjoy a little of its pleasures, and then renounce them. True desirelessness is the state of the jivan mukta, the realized being. Liberation in this life. True desirelessness is liberation in this life. What does that mean? It means to be so fully contented. You wake up in the morning fully contented. You move through the day fully contented. You go to sleep at night fully contented not full of desire and fear. And you live fully contented. And as you live in that state of fully contented, it grows. 
and you, you attain uh, states of awareness that you never imagined. So this is what he's talking about. <clears throat> Bhagwan is the essence of desirelessness. Uh, how are we doing? Can you bear two more? Yeah? He's a bit, he's an addiction, Bhagwan. All right. The heart of Vedanta is prana. Prana is the breath. Bringing the breath under complete control. So he's saying the heart of Vedanta is not just a head trip, it's also bringing it into the, into the body. Vedanta is the knowledge of the eternal. And when Bhagavan Nityananda says Vedanta, he means the highest wisdom, not a particular brand. Vedic mantras are not to be uttered by the tongue, but from the throat. I would have to ask uh, a Brahmin. <clears throat> you know how Brahmins all chant in a kind of a strangely nasal way? I wonder if that's what that means. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to call India and find out. You see? Instead of saying, Triambakam Yajamahe, you say, Triambakam Yajamahe, from the throat. That's that sound more biblical? Triambakam Yajamahe, Suganyam Bhaktivaranam. No? <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> one who knows the secret is a Brahmin. The sound of Om itself constitutes the Vedas. So the Vedas are all summed up in the single syllable Om, which stands for the self. It is the light of divine wisdom, the fire of intuition. Vedanta has no form. Vedanta is not a pile of textbooks with theories. Vedanta has no form, it is indivisible, it is changeless, it is identical to the self. The real Vedanta is knowledge of the self. Right utterance of Veda is perfect concentration of the mind. So if you know the self, then you have perfect Vedanta. Here's another one, last one. <clears throat> this is a marvelous statement, this first one. Only Bhagwan, of all the great beings that have ever lived, and of all the rap artists that ever lived, all the blues singers that ever lived, all the country singers that ever lived, all the Bob Dylans that ever lived, all the Shakespeare's that ever lived, only Bhagwan Nityananda could say things like this. Ready? The best of cobras have the internal breath. They listen attentively to the sweet music of the flute. <laughs> there are some cobras that are not so good. <laughs> they don't listen to the m music of the flute so well. Their breath is not internal, those cobras. He goes on, the yani loves all people, the, man, the person of wisdom, loves all people, all things, as thoroughly as the cow loves her calf. <laughs> Sweet, huh? So the yani loves everyone. <clears throat> this is same-sightedness, or we could say equal vision. This is to, to see everything as, as the one God, as, as the self. <clears throat> There can be no house without doors. Here we go. <laughs> Except on Tower Road. 
No cooking without utensils. No, <laughs> no salad without spinning. <laughs> the, dog, the dog will eat whether the food is in a golden dish or a stone dish. The bird thinks only of today's needs, not tomorrow's. I always see him, he's looking around, you know, he's sitting out on the porch there with his legs up, and he's seeing little things, and it's all because, like spiritual teachings of the most bizarrely profound and yet obvious way, the only unique vision Bhagwan Nityananda had. You know, when I was in literary studies, we always talked about the poet's vision, the way that poet looked at the world. This is the way Bhagwan Nityananda looked at the world. <clears throat> He says, uh, the bird thinks only of today's needs, not tomorrow's. A seed kept in a box will never grow. It cannot yield fruit. But the same seed, if placed in soil, will sprout and yield fruit. You must practice, now comes, now he hammers it home. You must practice. You must experience. You yourself are responsible for either happiness or misery comes the profound spiritual teaching. You must do the practice. You must meditate. You must contemplate these things. You must come to satsang. You must do the mantra. You must chant and think about these high things. Don't spend your whole life in just mundane activities. Also spend some time in thinking about these deeper issues. You yourself are responsible for either happiness or misery. So ultimately, uh, the buck stops with each of us. That if we're miserable, it's because we haven't gone deep enough. And life is very testing. And life creates misery in different ways. And the, 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 you can consider them yogic challenges, a way to go to somehow to go deeper. There's always a way, an, an angle of vision or a practice that you can do that takes you beyond. Sometimes your yoga is just not up to it, and you're caught in suffering and misery. But when you are, know that it's only that my yoga is not strong enough right now. One day it will be strong enough, and you'll overcome that obstacle. So this is Bhagwan Nityananda. You must practice. You must experience. You yourself are responsible for either happiness and misery. Great stuff. Did you like those stories? Are they kooky? Mrs. Kukini, what is her name? <laughs> I could see them talking. You should come to Ganeshpuri. I heard he's quite mean. He's quite mean. Doesn't give lectures. Doesn't, not nice to visitors. Don't want to go there. <laughs> but she did. So let's meditate for 10 minutes, and we'll meditate on that self to which Bhagavanichananda is referring. And once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satguru Maharaj Ki Jai. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. <laughs> 